2: Jeff Kane at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me as always is Bobby Kravitsky at Bobby K underscore ninety one, also on Twitter. Follow along CLS Radio at, at CLS Radio on Twitter and the Patriots Beat Podcast at Patriots Beat. You can also, of course, follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash CLS fans, and download our new and unbelievable mobile app by going to Radio slash iOS free for your iPhone, www.clsradio.com slash Android. If you have an Android, you can also, of course, search CLS Radio in both the uh, iPhone app store and on the Google uh, Plus, Google Play on your, uh, on your Android. Big week kicking up this week here for the New England Patriots. Of course, they just came off their bye week sitting at 7 and 2 and we'll be going up against the 6-3 Indianapolis Colts. Before we kick off with all that jazz, we'll be looking back at the New England Patriots' 7-2 start to the season, looking ahead at uh, the New England Patriots and their next seven games, which will decide how they finish the season, and then we'll dig a little deeper into the game this week. And, of course, we have our tickets to give away, the CLNS Radio and Pat's Gazette Ticket giveaway, we will be giving you the code word to text into 22828. You'll text that code word in, and we will uh, pick a winner and, a, of course, contact them by email. And you'll need, your, uh, you'll need to, of course, give us your email there so we can contact you. but It'll be two tickets to the uh, December 14th game against the Miami Dolphins. So before we get into that, I'm going to just say hello to Bobby. Bobby, how are you doing tonight? Doing
0: good. I might have to create an alias or find a friend to try and enter the contest for me, try and get those tickets.
2: CLNS Radio, uh, people are not able to win this con uh, contest, and neither is Pat's Gazette. But uh, yeah, you can go with the winner, I suppose. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll throw it out and say, you know what? go with uh you can go with a CLS radio personality if you do not have a friend to go with but hopefully it shouldn't be too hard to uh to find a friend to go to a New England Patriots game especially against a team like Miami which it should be a pretty uh pretty good game if you ask me.
0: Oh, absolutely. Try and get revenge for what happened on opening day. Absolutely going to be an entertaining game.
2: Well, the one thing that uh I want to start, before we start talking about football here, of course, uh, this past Tuesday was Veterans Day, and uh, we all in America owe a lot to our veterans out there, and I'd like to share a little story about uh, a, a friend of mine's husband who um, was a Marine in, uh, in Iraq and, uh, for eight years. Uh, his name is Matt Moore, and he's one of the, those people you just want in your corner. He's a great guy, he's a good, got a great sense of humor, and he'll always have your back, always. As I said, Matt was a Marine for eight years and served in Iraq. And once he finished his duty, it only made sense for him to move back to New Hampshire and become a police officer. Yeah, I know. We all know about police officers and and, and the shit we hear about them. And, you know, I've been in trouble with the cops (laughs) in the the past myself. But, you know what, he's one of the good guys. And so is his wife, Terry. And, uh, yeah, she's a cop too. uh, And they're both just great people. But recently Matt and Terry found some... Pretty bad news out. Uh, Matt has been di- diagnosed with stage 3 brain cancer. Uh, it's inoperable, but the doctors are feeling good about it. And it, it's still a big burden on Matt and his wife, and they have two little girls. Um, Matt and his wife, Terry, are trying to stay as pos- positive as possible. He has shared with his friends that those beautiful little girls, as I mentioned, um, he's got two beautiful little girls. They're three and one, and want to keep him strong. And, and that's got to be very hard for Matt he also says his wife Terry who has has been his rock especially now and if that didn't make you cry like a little girl which obviously i'm getting a little choked up here uh once matt gets better and i know he will um he's going to be fighting out, uh cancer and of course um helping children who have cancer you know boston always does a great job with the jimmy fund so i'm asking you here um you know anyone who's out there uh, if it's a $1, dollar, five bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever you want to donate, we all have uh, someone who's been touched in our life by cancer. I've lost many friends and family members to it, but Matt and Terry could use your help. Um, I mean, these are two people, servants of um, you know our community, both uh, police officers, and of course Matt, as I said, a veteran of eight years in the Marines. So go to www.gofundme.com slash matt Moore, and more is spelled m-o-o-r-e that's www.gofundme slash Matt Moore and show your support Matt and Terry um, are two of the greatest people uh, you could ever um, know out there and they will definitely be the type of people that would really respect this and and love this and, and I know in my heart I've known uh, Matt and Terry for a while but um, I know that they would do the same for any one of you out there so before we get talking about football um we will of course uh, be pushing out this uh, link uh when the podcast airs but um again uh just a, a good cause we all know someone affected by cancer um you know reach into your pocket whether it's a dollar $5 $10 $100 um, do that and the patriots beat podcast will be uh donating towards this as well so um Matt get better uh take care of your wife and your two daughters and and you know we know you'll get
0: better. Matt I will keep you in my hearts and in my prayers and just like you said want to give a shout out to all the veterans and those who fight to preserve and maintain the rights and the privileges that we in this country enjoy on a day-to-day basis.
2: And I think as that um the Patriots Beat Podcast right now will uh, will honor a moment of silence for uh, for our veterans who have lost uh, their lives uh, battling in the faraway lands to keep us the greatest nation in the world and free. Well, again, that uh, that's for Matt Moore out there and uh, every other veteran out there um, who's either home or abroad right now who fought. Uh, you know, for, for this country. And unfortunately, Matt has been diagnosed with, uh, with, uh, cancer. Um, but I know Matt's going to beat it. Uh, I, I have faith if anyone can, it will be him, but let's, uh, let's move on to some positive things here. Um, let's move on to the New England Patriots, Bobby. Let's
0: do it. Let's get back to football.
2: We'll get some, some football here. So Patriots sitting at seven and two after a bye week, a bye week that showed the New England Patriots, uh, Little good news with both the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins losing, so in essence, um, as of it stands right now, they have a two game lead on both of them. Of course, we record this uh, podcast on Thursday night, so we do not know the um, outcome of the Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins game. Um, of course, uh, we we will have known that you will have known that when you're listening to this podcast, but as of right now, the Patriots stand at seven and two with a two game lead over both their AFC East rivals. The season didn't start out great, but if you ask me, uh, a loss week one against the Miami Dolphins, uh, couple that with uh, two uh, okay wins. If, if I'm going to say okay. I mean, the win against my, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, sure, the score was lopsided, but Minnesota had just found out that they weren't going to have Adrian Peterson with, of course, what he had done to his, uh, his son. And then uh, the barely win against the Oakland Raiders before getting absolutely demolished by the Kansas City Chiefs, sitting at 2-2. Two and two, I think we were all a little worried about what we were going to see with the New England Patriots. What were your thoughts, Bobby, after those first four games?
0: Jeff, I don't know if you disagree with me, but that was the worst month of football I've seen from the Patriots under Bill Belichick.
2: Um yeah that was close to it. I can actually think of only one time I remember a worse and I'm going to take out the 2000 season because in 2000 I mean the team finished 5 and 11. We weren't expecting much out of them. But that second season uh a third season actually in 2002 um after uh, after winning the Super Bowl, there was a stretch uh where they lost three games in a row and they were horrible. But I can definitely say since the Patriots became the team that they are, that's the worst month stretch of football that I remember seeing uh, in a long time, definitely uh, since 2002. And, and we've been spoiled around these parts, uh, watching the New England Patriots for so long and seeing how great they've become that even when they turned it around and, and, and won their next game against Cincinnati, we still didn't know what to think. That. I mean, any other place in America, any other football team, you're looking at them and you're saying, all right, it was one bad game. In New England? We were all kind of looking at this like, what the heck is going on here?
0: Well, go figure that Patriots fans would overreact to something. (laughs) We
2: would never. We would never do that. never
0: happens. (laughs) And I got to be honest, I looked at that first month of the season And it just seemed the silver lining that I saw and finally got to exhale when that Sunday night football game against the Bengals happened was that the mistakes they were making looked fixable. It wasn't really a case of they don't have the talent and I never believed the season was going to go the way it had the first month throughout because, for example, when they were in that base 3-4 defense That was a a huge factor in their two losses against Kansas City and Miami where guys, most notably Chandler Jones, were playing out of position and you'd see them get gashed in the running game. And then when you looked at the offense, you you didn't know what the offensive line combination was going to be, but you just had to feel that it wasn't going to play out that way for all 16 games, that eventually something was going to come together and they were going to get it right to some degree, and certainly it's looked more positive than I think many could have imagined at the time. And as a result, we've been able to see Brady be Brady, and sure enough, his receivers give them time, and they are getting open and making big plays. And now we have the emergence of Brandon LaFell, so we can talk about more than him going offsides on a kickoff.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I think you hit it right there, though. Uh, they were playing out of position. Remember that game against Miami in Week One. They had Chandler Jones, as you said, playing out of position. He was playing a three-four defensive end. I mean, Chandler Jones uh, is a talent. Of course, he's on the sideline right now with the hip injury, but he's a talent. But at six foot five, two hundred sixty-five pounds, he's not a three-four end. You know, you think three-four end, you think Richard Seymour. You think, you know, six foot five, three hundred five pounds. Uh, you know, Chandler Jones is the ultimate size for an end-of-the-line rusher in a uh, in a 3-4 defense. And he wasn't that at the beginning of the season. And how much can we really put on this offensive line? Number one, there were injuries. Uh, Brian Stork, who I was excited as hell that when they uh, drafted him, uh, he was definitely a big step up. He was not playing yet. He was coming back from being injured in training camp. Ryan Wendell was injured with a knee injury. Uh, you had Jordan Devy starting. You had uh, Marcus Cannon, who I love as a swing tackle, playing in a left guard. The guy had never played left guard in his career, and he's out there start, starting your left guard. So, and, of course, couple that with the fact that you no longer had Dante Scarnecchia.
0: Yeah, there was so much chaos going on with that line. And, like you said, DeGuliamo was taking a beating amongst the media and fans alike. Jordan Devy, the tuba player, I was saying in the preseason I don't get this experiment. <laughs> they can cut him right now and move on. And finally, he's just an inactive now and someone I don't have to look at on the field, you know, trying to protect Tom Brady. That gave me a heart attack every single snap. So I'm glad that experiment's over. And Marcus Cannon, like you said, no experience playing guard and it just it's everything was coming at him way too fast for him to process it all mentally and be able to react react quick enough. So now he's back in that swing tackle position where he provides valuable depth behind Bulmer Bull, and Solder.
2: Oh, definitely. And, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that – and I'm not even going to pronounce his name. You pronounce it. You're way too much braver than I am because I cannot pronounce Davey D's last name. So he, he's
0: Googe or he's Gouge. Dave D. <laughs>
2: he's Googe to me, man. But you've seen it. You've seen it. Um, the last five weeks for the New England Patriots, that the offensive line has become more of a strength, and we saw with uh, with Googe in both uh, the Jets when he was there with um, as their offensive line coach, and of course with the Miami Dolphins when he was letting Reggie Bush get a thousand yards rushing, and of course the New York Giants that his line became bigger and stronger, and you've seen that now with uh, you know putting Brian Stork in at center. You've seen this team become more of a, a, a threat uh, with running the ball. They haven't done great at it, but they're becoming an attacking offensive line, which I think is great for them.
0: Oh, absolutely, and what I'm curious to see is how much of an impact this has on the running game going forward. Like you said, Reggie Bush's first 1,000-yard season came, with Guge at the helm in Miami, and then you look at the giant three-headed monster. He was able to help pave the way for those three: Bradshaw, Jacobs, and Ward. So if he can help, you know, spring together and make that running game more effective, especially for someone like Jonas Gray, who's just getting his feet wet in the NFL, that would be an enormous compliment to the Patriots' passing attack.
2: Uh, I agree with you there. The guy that I want to see, though, really get a chance running the ball is Shane Vereen. I mean, he's got the same type of skill sets that Reggie Bush had. And if Reggie Bush can run for 1,000 yards, I honestly think Shane Vereen can too. Um, I know the Patriots kind of fall in love with that big back. You know, they fell in love last year with LeGarrette Blount. They fell in love, um, you know, the year before Stephen Ridley, uh, and to a lesser extent yet last year as well. And of course Ben Jarvis Green Ellis who they had for a while, but why can't the little guy and I'm not and little guy, he's not exactly small, he's five you know, he's five eleven, two oh five, um in, in Shane Vereen. Why can't Shane Vereen become that every down back?
0: I I would be concerned about the durability of him being an every down back. I certainly think he can succeed in that first and third down role where he's so effective in the passing game and on top of that he can make good runs whether it's through the B gaps or outside the tackles i just i haven't seen enough of him really in the meat of you know going up the middle to know how effective he would be in that role and how he would do consistently over the course of a game and a season in that role you look at some of the other backs That you mentioned. Ridley is big and he's shifty. Yes, he has his fumbling issues, but that's a whole other topic. And then you look at someone like LeGarrette Blount. Well, the Patriots realized that they could coach him up and just, if he learned to keep his pad level low and hit the hole harder rather than juking around in the backfield and getting happy feet, that he's going to be a force. And sure enough, once they got that going with him, he became a home run hitter, most notably that Colts divisional playoff game he was so effective, so I don't know if Vereen could hold up being an every down back the way that someone who's a bigger body type like Ridley and Blount do, and as a result, they don't really have to test that because they have a complementary piece in Jonas Gregg.
2: I can agree with you there, Bobby, and it's not too often that you and I agree, but I can agree (laughs) with you there, and you know, it, it it frustrates people who are fantasy football players who draft a New England Patriots running back because you never know what you're going to get, especially with the way that this offense is game planning. So we'll look at the last five games. The Patriots, of course, are 5-0 and in those games. Of course, they came out and absolutely dominated the Cincinnati Bengals. We remember that game Sunday night. Uh, you know, Sports Talk Radio in Boston was all about... Let's get rid of Brady. It's time to trade him. You remember the trades out there. Oh, what could we get for him? Maybe we can go to Houston and get Andre Johnson. Let's start Jimmy Garoppolo. Bill Belichick doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, this is we're talking about a a quarterback and coach duo that have won more games together than any quarterback coach duo in the world. And Patriots Nation was calling for their heads until after that, Cincinnati Bengals game where they absolutely crushed the Bengals, 41-17 to 17 on Sunday night, all three phases of the game working. And Brady was getting those ch- chance. And ever since that game, it's been a different le- level for TB12.
0: And they've had so many challenges since then, and they've risen to them. After that Bengals game, they had to go face the Bills, where they had just figured out their offensive line, and Stort goes down, and in that game against Buffalo, Connolly gets hurt, and they lose Ridley and Mayo for the season, and they're able to stop the best part of Buffalo's offense, that rushing attack, and just absolutely dominated them offensively, where Brady scored a touchdown almost every drive in the second half. Then on short rest, they get the Jets, who is the last opponent the Patriots would want on that quick turnaround and it certainly wasn't pretty but they were able to handle that challenge and get another victory with the Chris Jones black field goal at the end then they played the Bears who were going through turmoil of their own and people didn't know how Chicago was gonna respond to what was going on with that team and the Patriots just crushed them from the beginning and made sure that the Bears weren't gonna come back in that game then they play the Broncos, the first legitimate test in terms of quality of opponent, and absolutely dominated Peyton Manning and what was supposed to be the best team in the league.
2: Exactly, two things uh, that stick out to me right there. Number one, Thursday night football. I understand, you know, the NFL wants to make money. I get it. I, I get that it's a you know a juggernaut right now. I get that there's billions of dollars in TV revenue, but other than that Patriots Jets game, which was a two point victory, I don't think there's been a one score game in any Thursday night football. The teams are not ready to come back and play. It's just too hard for them to do it, and it it it. I think it's a failed experiment. It's not going to go anywhere. It makes the NFL a ton of money. It makes the NFL Network a ton of money. This year, of course, they had it on CBS for the first six weeks of the season. They're making money out of this. Unfortunately, we're seeing some pretty bad football on Thursday Night Football. And going on, again, looking at the uh, last game that the uh, New England Patriots played against the uh, Peyton Manning-led Denver Broncos, that was a, a, a slaughter. That was a slaughter. The Patriots owned that game from beginning to end. And I want to know, Bobby, in your mind, because we really haven't had much time to talk about that, uh, even though it's been two weeks. We have not been on the air together. We looked at that game. We did the post-game show together. It was a quick reaction. You know, we were all up in arms about how great it was that the Patriots had been victorious. But we look at it, and we just say, what was it? How did the Patriots defeat the Broncos 43-21? to 21? Tell, me, tell
0: me that. Well, well, it was such a great think... sign to see them force Denver three and out on their first two series. And it really set the tone and let the defense know that they had the game plan, that they were going to stop Peyton Manning. And I know that Denver responded with a touchdown on the next drive, but I think it planted a little something in Peyton Manning's mind, a little bit of, oh, here we go again because they were confusing him the whole game. Some people say that Manning didn't have as bad of a game as people might think. I watched the film and entirely disagree with that assessment. I know he had a lot of yards, but that was because they were throwing so much, trying to come back in that game, and they were kind of garbage yards, meaningless statistics, if you will. And what they would continuously do is make sure Manning didn't know two things, and that was one, where the pressures when the pressure's coming and when it's not and two who's dropping back for example that Ninkovich pick the Broncos love to run a play they do it all the time where they run a shallow crossing route and then a deep cross with Demarius Thomas and they try to get that linebacker to bite on the shallow cross and open up the middle for Demarius Thomas the Patriots knew it was coming And Ninkovich was right there. Manning never saw him coming, and he just stepped in front and had an easy interception. And Manning even said after the game, it really changed the tone.
2: Oh, it definitely did. And one of the big things, you know, we look back at that game the interception by Ninkovich, the play before, uh, he was uh, as a stand up linebacker, and he didn't draw, he dropped into the center of the field. This time, he was in a defensive end position and basically dropped into a hook zone and, and picked that pass off. Manning didn't even see him. As Manning said after the game, that, and a lot of people said after the game, there were uh, players where they shouldn't have been on defense. You know, they, He didn't know where the pressure was coming from. The Patriots did a phenomenal job of mixing up uh, their defense, and, and whether it be an even front an odd front, uh, you know, they've played most of the game with only two linebackers out there, two true linebackers out there. And they were just sending people from the left, from the right. They weren't letting Peyton Manning diagnose what was happening in front of him. And while he did throw for 438 yards, uh, that was on uh, 57 attempts. Uh, you need to get up 438 yards on 57 attempts. Uh, and you know what? The other thing that was just great to see was, the way the Patriots were able to absolutely bottle up uh, the running game of the Denver Broncos. That was one of the big things that I was worried about because we saw it in uh, New England last year uh, when the Broncos had hopped out to the 24 to nothing lead uh, Manning and the Broncos running game, rushing for over 2000, uh, 200 yards. And then in the AFC championship game, we talked about it on Patriots beat before the game uh, where the, Manning would check down to a draw on 3rd and 10 and get it. And, I mean, combined total, uh, the Broncos just could not run the ball at all against the New England Patriots last time out there. Uh, 17 attempts for 43 yards. That's putrid.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the Patriots were banking on the fact that Manning likes to do things by the book. And so, sure enough, last year, he checked down and he would hand the ball to Sean Marino. And for Patriots fans who like to brag about that, Just know that Marino's 250 yards, whatever it was, that did not sit well with Bill Belichick because this time he plugged the a gaps and made sure that even though it's not Marino there anymore, that no one was going for 250 plus yards on him this time around.
2: And for those of you who are wondering what the A-gap is, if you look at the center uh, of the uh, offense, to each side of him is what they call the A-gap. And when we talk B-gaps, that's the gap between the guards and the tackle, and then the C gap is outside of there. So Bobby with a little knowledge, but getting in on the layman fans there, Bobby, no one's as smart as you, Bob.
0: Yeah, I'll just no, say wait. the middle from now. Wait, on.
2: wait, no, wait, I am.
0: <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs>
2: No, but you're right. The uh, the Patriots definitely, uh, and we talked about it, getting pressure up the middle on Peyton Manning, making him move off his spot, uh, stopping that, that, that quick draw that the Broncos do, and being able to stop that. So that's one of the ways that they attacked. The other way that they were able to attack is they took away the one thing that the Broncos really do well, and, and they do a lot well. But you saw the outside wide receivers get a ton of meaningless, meaningless yards, in my, in my opinion. Emmanuel Sanders, 10 catches, 151 yards. Demarius Thomas, 7 catches, 127. But, I mean, that was pretty much it. Julius Thomas, the guy we, we, we both targeted as someone to stop uh, in, the, uh, in the last Patriots beat, he was held to two catches. I mean, that's unheard of. That's the first time he's been held the under three or four catches in a long time. Two catches is all he had. Now, granted, he did have the touchdown catch. Two catches, 33 yards. The Patriots did a myriad of things to cover him. They used Patrick Chung on him. They used Brandon Browner to match up one-on-one on him. They did some great things there. Your thoughts on how Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick designed that defense to stop uh, Thomas?
0: Yeah, I thought they were brilliant with mixing coverages. They continuously bumped him at the line of scrimmage like they did with the receivers on the outside, trying to throw off that timing and that rhythm between Manning and his weapons. And with Thomas, they would even sometimes have a guy underneath and a guy over the top on him. They'd go with single coverage, whether it was, like you said, Chung or Browner. They just continued to mix up the coverage so that even when Thomas knew what was coming, he would still have to fight his way off the line of scrimmage. And throwing off that timing while the Patriots are sending pressure up the middle makes it so difficult for Manning to look over at someone like that when he might be the second option on a play beside, behind Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders because they're going to get open quicker
2: definitely all right let's let's move this on a little bit we'll get away from the uh the Broncos game and, and move on towards uh towards the second half of the season and what we can really expect from the New England Patriots before we jump on to the Indianapolis Colts but we, before we do that it's time to give away the code word for your chance to win two tickets to the Patriots versus Dolphins game on uh, the 12th, I'm sorry, on the 14th of December, New England Patriots at home against the Miami Dolphins could be, uh, could be battle for positioning. We're not sure exactly where the Patriots and Dolphins will stand as it's a few weeks out, but that could be a very good game to go see. Um, so here's the deal. New England Patriots uh, tickets for the game against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the whole setup was this. CLNS Radio needed to get to 6,000 Twitter followers. Pat's Gazette needed to get to 20,000 Twitter followers. That happened. All right, so here's how you can enter all the followers of Pat's Gazette and CLNS Radio.
1: Hey, Jeff, thanks for throwing it over to me. It's Nick Jelso, CEO and founder of CLNS Radio. And I just want to really thank Patriots Gazette. Jeff Kane and you Patriots Nation for getting behind this promo. Now listen, text our season long hashtag on board. That's one word, on board to 42828. From there, you will receive auto responders from CLNS Radio. You will need to text your email address back. Again, text on board, one word, to 42828. Big thanks to Patriots Gazette Twitter handle. Don't forget to follow CLNS Radio on Twitter. And me, I'm CLNS underscore Nick, and text on board to 42828. Now back to Jeff Kane and the Patriots beat group. Go Patriots, and thanks for your support. I'm Nick Gelso and I'm out of here.
2: We're going to announce the winner during the Patriots postgame show uh, after the Colts game. Of course, we'll also uh, email the winner as well. Couple things, just some house cleaning things, transportation, parking, food, booze, all that stuff. That's on you. You'll be getting two tickets that will be sent directly to you from Nick Gelso, uh, the owner of CLNS Radio. Uh, this was a great contest. Uh, a lot of awareness out there for CLNS Radio and, of course, for Pass Gazette, our partner in crime. Um, so great things there. So again, text the word on board to two two eight two eight. And that's all we ask. Just do that, and uh, you're entered to win two free tickets to the Patriots versus Dolphins game on December 14th. Uh, you know what else you're gonna what else you're gonna do? We've already done a lot of things for our fans out there. We've given away uh, Patriots jerseys. Uh, we've, um, of course, given away Julian Edelman signed um, signed stuff. We've given away now these two tickets. Once you text on board to two two eight two eight. So, anyways. That's the house cleaning. That's the contest. Follow Patriots Beat, follow CLS Radio, and of course follow Pat's Gazette. So let's move on there. There's your code word. Now what's gonna happen to the New England Patriots the rest of the season? Bobby, there's seven more games. Right now they stand at seven and two. I didn't think they would stand at seven and two right now. I figured about six and three. I didn't think the Patriots could win at the beginning of the season. Uh, that game against Denver. I thought that would be one of the losses. I thought, uh, you know, the game against Kansas City that they lost, I thought they'd lose that game, and I thought they might lose a game against Miami at home or against the Jets because they still have to uh, travel to East Rutherford. Um, But let me ask you this, Bobby. What do you think we can expect from the New England Patriots moving forward? Is the offense just hot right now, or have they finally figured something out?
0: Yeah, and – One of the areas of concern for me, or more I should say, areas of interest would be more appropriate, is that they were playing at a championship level heading into the bye week. And most importantly, that includes a championship mentality, that they had that focus that you need where week in and week out, the distractions or the challenges they were facing didn't matter. They just focused on what they needed to do and got it done. When you... When you step off the hamster wheel, it's hard to just pick that back up. Hamster wheel.
2: (laughs) I like that. It's
0: hard to just pick that back up immediately. And so I'm not saying it won't happen, but it might not just happen, you know, as soon as they get back from the bye week or even by the time Sunday Night Football rolls around. So I'm curious to see how quickly they can pick that back up. And how high they, you know, can they get back to that same level they were at coming into the bye week? Because mentally, they had it. They were at. they they were playing championship football, and they had the mentality and the drive and the focus of a champion. So I'm curious to see if after stepping away from football for a week, if they how quickly they can pick that up.
2: I agree with you there, Bobby. Because let's face it, you're right. They were playing championship. Football. They were on a roll. I mean, absolutely. I mean, when you can when you can roll over Denver the way that they did. I mean, Denver going into that game was probably conceived as the best football team uh, in the NFL, and the Patriots, you know, basically uh, wiped their ass and and, and threw them out. Finished the them off run. by
0: halftime.
2: It was it was it was done. It was absolutely done. Was still, now the Patriots go on to the second half of the season, and there's still some. Very tough games coming up Sunday night in a dome against Andrew Luck, who right now leads the NFL in passing yards. Uh, he's coming into his own in the third in the third ga- third in his third season. And then you look at what's coming up after that. Uh, you got a tough game. At least it's at home uh, versus the Lions. Now the Lions stand at seven and two, uh, and they've won games. Three games in a row in, in, on their last drive, so they're playing some pretty dang good football. And of course, that's going to be a great matchup uh, with Calvin Johnson going up against uh, Darrell Rivas. That's that's something that I think everyone's going to be excited to watch right there. Then they go on the road, and that's the that's where I'm looking at right now. These are two very tough road games. Uh, a Sunday night, Sunday afternoon tilt against the Green Bay Packers. I don't know many teams that are playing better than the Packers are right now. And, of course, they had a, a tough start to the season as well. And then a Sunday night game against the San Diego Chargers. Now, granted, the Chargers sit at 5-4 and four right now, but they're still a very talented team, and they just got their running back, uh, Ryan Matthews, back. Uh, that's the next four games that the New England Patriots have to play. If the Patriots can somehow finish out 2-2 two and two there, or even 3-1, they're in the driver's seat.
1: Oh,
0: absolutely. And you look at this gauntlet, when you get through with those four games, you still have to play your division teams, including going to New York to play the Jets, which has never been easy for the Patriots. So it's not like they get through that stretch and can just breathe. Because after San Diego, Miami's got plenty to play for, as of right now at least, where that's going to be a big game to them, and you're going to have to crank it up once again for another opponent that's going to come into your building looking to earn a victory and fighting for a spot in the playoffs. Now focusing on this week with the Colts and those four games against the hardest opponents, I I don't trust Detroit outside of their home building. To me, they're a team that plays in a dome, and they really benefit from that, but when they go on the road, they're just a different team to me. Green Bay, you're gonna have to go into the frozen tundra, the legend of Lambeau, and that's gonna be a really tough game where that that along with Denver might be the most two-telling games about this team and where they're legitimately at in the NFL. Not that we don't already know, but that it's another game that if you're a champion, you win that game, or at the very least, you make sure that it comes down to the end. You know, you're right there, you didn't lose it. Handedly. And then you look at yep. the fact that they have to go into San Diego after that game, where the Chargers are so good at home. And like you said, they just got Ryan Matthews back. That's going to be another very difficult game. And if you drop two of those and potentially even one, Denver could leap them by winning out and have home field should they meet up in the AFC championship.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, and. That's the one the the game that you talked about there, the Green Bay game, I think that's the game that I'm looking forward to in the second half as much as anything because that is a game which is going to pit two extremely good quarterbacks in Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers against each other. I'd be very curious to see how the New England Patriots secondary the secondary has been great this season, but how they can match up against you know, Jordy Nelson um, and and uh, Cobb and, and the rest of those guys out there because, let's face it, Aaron Rodgers has done some unbelievable things uh, this season. And, of course, his whole career, he's been a very good uh, quarterback. I'm really looking forward to the game in Green Bay. I think that's the toughest game they have left on their schedule. But you also said, you know, you come back and you, you play your three division opponents. And while everyone in Patriots Nation kind of sits there and says, ho-hum, the New England Patriots are going to win another division, uh, the AFC East you know, stinks, outside of the New York Jets, who gave the Patriots one of the hardest games they've played this year, both Buffalo and Miami are right in the thick of things for the playoffs, for one of those wildcard things. And if, and if the Patriots in this next few games uh, you know, drop a couple, They could be in it right for the division, either one of those teams, uh, you know, as they battle on Thursday night. But either one of those teams could be great. And I want to ask you this, Bobby. Do you remember a slate of games that the New England Patriots are in right now that have been as tough as this? It seems like week in and week out, they're going up against some phenomenal, phenomenal teams.
0: Yeah, I don't. And that used to be one of the complaints, that they would get to the playoffs and they hadn't been battle-tested and what I can remember, the most, the toughest stretch they had recently was when they had to play, I believe it was back-to-back, against the Texans and the Niners. And they convincingly beat Houston, and they got slaughtered in the first half against San Francisco before coming back and making a game of it. And that was two games towards the end of the season, and that was really it. So you would get to the playoffs, and all you knew that about the Patriots was that they were going to win their division, and you'd find out all you needed to know in the playoffs without too many glimpses, if any, some seasons coming into the postseason. This year, they've been through it, starting from having to show how mentally tough they are right out of the gates, where that ugly first month of the season, they had to pull themselves off the ground, and were fortunately able to do so and have continued to rise to the occasion. So at least now... We know that mentally this team has it and they can beat the highest quality of opponents, which is who you're going to be facing come playoff time.
2: Oh, exactly, and the Patriots again showed their mental toughness after starting zero and one for the first time since the uh, two thousand and three season, where they got blown out thirty-one to nothing against the Buffalo Bills up in Buffalo. Uh, many people call that the Lawyer Malloy game, uh, or the they hate their coach, as uh, Tommy Jackson would always say. Uh, a game that uh, began my career of going to. Buffalo yearly to see the Patriots play uh, that was a tough one thirty one to nothing loss. This team has shown mental toughness, and they're showing it again now not only with the way they've played the last five games but in losing key players such as Gerard Mayo and of course Stephen Ridley. My look at the second half of the season is that run game. um A stat came out on e s p n Boston. That Tom Brady is something ridiculous, like twenty four of twenty seven uh, yep, over, over the, the last exactly. five uh, uh, over the last five games when they're when they're in the two uh, back backfield or two skill positions next to Tom Brady, and they're coming out and using uh, the play action. We've talked uh, ad nauseum on this program about the need to establish a running game and establish balance. And we're seeing it now as the Patriots offense is evolving and using the play-action pass game. I expect to see that more coming down the stretch now with the New England Patriots. But in order for that to continue to happen, they're going to need a running back to step up. Now, we've already talked about you know, Shane Vreen and Jonas Gray. Do you think that either one of those guys has what it takes to step up and be a four to four and a half yard per carry guy?
0: Based on what I've seen to this point, I'm going to say no, but the Patriots could probably get by with one of them, at least one being a three and a half yards per carry guy, because all they need the opposing defenses to do is respect the run so that they bite on play action. Up to this point, you can't help but watch these games and wonder why teams even go for it. You figure just seed it, and if it does prove to be a run and not a play action, that you're still probably going to stop them for, at worst, a four-yard gain. You know neither one of these backs have really broken off huge runs, so you keep wondering to up until now what's going to happen when a team stops biting on the play action so they really need to make sure and establish that running game which is why i'm hoping that googe can hold true to his reputation and help get that going it doesn't have to be that they're getting you know a 100 yard carrier every game it just needs to be something that sets up the play action which to this point it's done but as you get more as you put more on film for opponents to study it becomes harder to get away with when it's not a legitimate threat well,
2: you know, and I sit there and I, and I talk about both these running backs in Shane Vereen and Jonas Gray, and they, uh, respectively, they uh, Shane Vereen has four and a half yards per carry on the season, and Jonas Gray, of course, 4.1. Um, 101 rushes uh, between them uh, for four hundred and forty one yards, uh, so roughly four point what was that four point four yards per carry if I do my math quickly. Um, but a lot of that has come when they weren't featured backs. Not as much Jonas Gray, but Shane Vereen, not exactly a featured back. Steven Ridley still leads this team in carries with 94. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Patriots be able to uh, adjust more and use that running game more. I've called for it many times to see Shane Vereen run out of more traditional sets, an eye form or a strong eye uh, and, and not as much out of the shotgun. I'd like to see them do that a little more. Bobby, we've talked about uh, the Patriots moving forward. Now we're going to get into this game, but before we do, uh, today's Patriots Beat is brought to you by the CLNS Radio app. Uh, download it for free um, on iTunes, or of course the, the mobile app on Android, and that's www.clnsradio.com slash free that's for your iPhone or your iOS device, your, your iPad, if you will. I got those. I like those. Uh, if you're an Android user, www.cls.com slash Android. Download those apps for free. And, uh, of course, we're giving away those Patriots tickets if you uh, text the code word on board to 22828. But another thing we're running, and uh, for Celtics fans out there, Download those apps, and we just told you how to do that. And of course, like us on Facebook by going to wwwfacebookcom so that's fans and you too will be entered into winning uh, two tickets to a future Celtics game. So, giving away lots of stuff out there, um, which is really good. It's, it's it's all for the fans out there. We're all fans at heart uh, here at Clns Radio. Uh, you know, giving you great coverage of. All sports, especially of the Boston Celtics and the Boston Bruins, uh, I myself have been having many times now uh, being down at the Garden and uh, in the press room there and, of course, stepping up and getting press credentials uh, for a couple of Patriots practices in the off season. So big things coming to see on this radio. Make sure to get on board. So, Bobby, tough game coming up Sunday night against these Indianapolis Colts. Why don't you tell me what do you think could be some of the things we need to watch for out of these Indianapolis Colts?
0: Well, Well, first off, their offense is so high-powered. They lead the league in both points per game at 32.2 and yards per game with 451.2. And what that's largely a product of is the fact that they like to attack down the field. They don't run too much short and even intermediate stuff. It's mostly beyond the first down marker, where they're going to look to attack. And that also happens to be the Patriots' strength defensively is always taking away the deep threat. They were able to do it last year when T.Y. Hilton was really the only weapon that offense had, and Jamie Collins was able to take out Colby Fleener. So you'll probably see that matchup again. But the question is going to be, can the Patriots do it now, this time around, in Indianapolis, in that dome, where Luck has so many more weapons than he did last year in the playoffs. And if they can, then the Patriots should be successful. And if not, then they might be suffering another loss coming off of a bye week.
2: Well, two names that just stick out that the the Colts did not have last year in Foxborough, Reggie Wayne and Dwayne Allen, Uh, two names that stick out to me hugely uh Wayne of course I mean he's a getting a little long in the tooth he's still a very good wide receiver in this league uh, he's not the dynamic touchdown threat that he that he used to be but still I look at him and I I think of a good possession wide receiver uh that can get open T. Y. Hilton, of course, is a speed burner, and what he is doing right now uh, with Andrew Luck is making him a household name. And then you have that two tight end offense, Uh, Dwayne Allen, and of course Colby Fleener. I'm wondering how the Patriots are going to defend them.
0: Yeah, and I think they're going to mix it up just like they did against Denver, where you're going to see cover three, you're going to see man for just a little bit, but largely, I don't expect and well, We'll find out after the game. I might look like an idiot for saying this. I don't expect a lot of blitzes because Belichick, we know how much he respects quarterbacks that are mobile. So I think he's going to look to keep his linebackers in front of luck and make sure that they have their eyes on him, take away the hooks and the curls and all that and crossing routes while the secondary is going one-on-one, whether it's in man or zone, trying to take away the deep ball.
2: Oh, exactly. You got to take away that deep ball, but you also got to, you know, as you said, Luck is more of a mobile quarterback, and keeping those linebackers. You remember last year against the uh, Carolina Panthers? uh, Every time the Patriots went into man defense, and they had some great uh, coverage back there, it was Cam Newton's show, and he he would run for that first down. So I would expect a guy like Jamie Collins. Uh, or Dante Hightower, or even Rob Nikovich to kind of, you know, in a way spy Andrew Luck and and, and hope that he doesn't uh, break out and run. I mean, on the season right now, uh, Andrew Luck is is doing a, a pretty good job in you know running the ball when he has to. Thirty five carries, one hundred and twenty nine yards, and two scores. He is tied for the team lead in rushing uh, touchdowns along with uh, Trent Richardson and Ahmad Bradshaw. Tell me what's happened to Trent Richardson, because this was a guy who came out of Alabama, a first-round draft pick of the Cleveland Browns, had a very good rookie season, and then traded four games into his second season in Cleveland and just can't get anything going. 108 carries, 391 yards, 3.6 yards per carry, uh, and only two touchdowns.
0: Yeah, and the Colts gave up a first-round pick for him, so they would love to get proper value out of their investment, and it's been nowhere close to that so far. He splits carries pretty much 50-50 with Ahmad Bradshaw, even though Bradshaw's been much more effective. Richardson, they like using him between the tackles, and he can come out of the backfield in the passing game, so he's still someone you have to keep an eye on, but he certainly is not produced anywhere near the level That they anticipated.
2: I agree with you there, and of course, that uh, first-round draft pick uh, to the Cleveland Browns became Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, who uh, has done so many good things for the (laughs) six-and-three Cleveland Browns. Do you believe the Browns are six-and-three?
0: That might be the biggest surprise (laughs) in all of football right now. Well, Manziel just holds the clipboard. Former Patriot Brian Hoyer is getting it done.
2: And Brian Hoyer will be going up against other former Patriot, Ryan Mallett, in a uh, game Sunday afternoon between the Cleveland Browns and the Houston Texans. I'll have my eyes glued to that as I redo my bathroom this weekend, uh, or at least I'll have it on in the background before uh, my wife doesn't yell at me because I'm (laughs) not doing work. But no, really, though, Trent Richardson really hasn't done much uh, against the New England uh, Patriots or any team, uh, really. So I I need to ask this because – Here's the big thing. We both agree that uh, how the New England Patriots have come out lately, they're mixing man zone. You said it, you don't expect a lot of blitzes. We didn't see a lot of blitzes against uh, Peyton Manning, and I wouldn't expect the same thing against Andrew Luck. Um, with the Patriots, you know, trying to get by with uh, four-man press pressure and dropping seven out uh, into coverage, they did a great job of that against Manning, taking away, uh, you know, the uh, the seam route, taking away the – interior of the field. Wes Welco and Julius Thomas were non-factors. So how do you see the same thing? Do you see how the Patriots can stop by going into more of a a, a seven-man uh, you know, drop back in coverage to go up, up against some of these weapons? We've mentioned them. Reggie Wayne, uh, T.Y. Hilton only needs like 70 yards to get 1,000 on the season already. Uh, Dwayne Allen and Colby Fleener.
0: Yeah, and Hilton is third amongst receivers in terms of yards. He's got 937, like you said. He's almost 70 away from cracking 1,000. And against Manning, what the Patriots did was they didn't send a lot of pressure, but they would blitz and they would send guys up the middle, try to get him off his spot. Well, against Luck, you don't want to do that. You want to clog up the passing lanes rather than force him to scramble because he can hurt you that way. So like you said, it's going to be about clogging the box, making sure that they don't have those options, whether it's curls, hooks, crosses, all that. And then it comes down to the secondary, to those back four or five guys, to be able to take away what Indianapolis likes to do best. This is another game where Darrell Revis is going to have to earn his money, and I'm not sure who he's going to cover the bulk of the time. It might be Hilton, it might be Reggie Wayne, and they could double-team Hilton, something like that. He's certainly going to mix it up. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Revis, and on the other side, Browner. This is another tough matchup for him because he's going to have to go against someone, whether it's Wayne, who's six feet, or Hilton, who's even smaller, that he doesn't like to do. Guys that don't just take off down the field, guys that will come across the middle. So that's going to be difficult for him, and they're really going to have to earn their money the secondary this game because it's a tough matchup for them, as talented as they are and as well as they've been playing up until the bye week.
2: One of the things I want to talk about when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts uh, offense is the fact that they have seven players through nine games with 20 or more receptions. Uh, That is, that's balance right there. That is throwing to the open wide receiver. I mean, a lot of people talk about T.Y. Hilton and his 56 receptions for 937 yards. Uh, You know, Reggie Wayne, second on the team with 42 uh, but and then you look at the – they throw the ball to the back, out of the backfield, which has hurt the Patriots in the past. In Ahmad Bradshaw, who has 34 receptions, Trent Richardson has 21. So you look right there, that's 55 receptions out of the backfield. And then the two tight end set is almost perfectly uh, – dist- uh, distrib- you know what I want to say. <laughs> I
0: got you, boss,
2: <laughs> you You got me. You got me. But I mean, 26 and 22 uh, catches for both Colby Fleener and, uh, and um, Dwayne Allen combined, and, and they've gotten the end zone 11 times between them. I think in this game for the New England Patriots, it's going to be – I'm not too worried about the over-the-top passing game. I'm not worried about T.Y. Hilton – going over the top. I think the Patriots have proven uh, they, you know, they've only allowed one play of over 40 yards this year. uh, And that was last, uh, last game against the Denver Broncos, kind of a garbage uh, pass that, uh, that was caught by Demarius Thomas. But let me ask you right now, can the Patriots defend the two tight end set?
0: Yeah, I think they absolutely can. Jamie Collins was terrific against Colby Fleener in the, AFC Divisional game last year. That's where all the hype came. And yes, he did. So I, I think you can expect that again. Not Maybe not the same results, but it's going to be that same matchup. And I expect Collins to win that matchup. And with Dwayne Allen, he is so tough because he's another dynamic tight end who's a good run blocker and is very effective in the passing game as well. So I expect the Patriots to be physical with him at the line of scrimmage. And he's another guy they're going to mix up their coverages with whether it's Akeem Ayers on him, whether it's zone coverage. So whoever's, you know, wherever zone he goes into, whoever's responsible for that area is going to be right near him, making sure to, again, be physical, be hitting him. One of the things the Patriots did so well against Denver was anyone who came within five yards, they didn't just hit them. They nailed them. And Allen's a bigger body, but it was effective against Julius Thomas too. So I think they're going to do more of the same against Allen as well.
2: It was some good old-fashioned Patriots football, uh, hearkening myself back to the 2003 season uh, in the AFC Championship game against Peyton Manning and his uh, wide receivers where they really roughed them up. I can really see this being a spot when they go man-to-man where you're going to see Brandon Browner on Dwayne Allen. I think that is the perfect matchup uh, for the two of them. And I could see uh, whether it be Logan Ryan or Kyle Arrington out on Reggie Wayne. I think that's probably if you're in a man-to-man uh, set which again they're going to disguise their coverages they're going to go zone they're going to go man they're going to stay in cover uh, cover three a lot as we've seen uh, the past two weeks but I think when you go man-to-man especially down uh, closer to the red zone where Allen has been such a threat I think we could see a lot of Brandon
0: Browner on him. Yeah I definitely think you're going to see some of Browner on him. My only concern there is that because the Colts like to run those two tight end sets, you're not going to see the Patriots in their sub-defense a lot where they've been so effective with only two linebackers. So if they've got three linebackers on the field and none of them are covering Allen, it might compromise the defense to some degree.
2: Now see, that's where I'm going to disagree with you there because I could see the Patriots coming out in, uh, in their sub-defense in a nickel package, uh, with a Kyle Arrington or a Logan Ryan, and the two linebackers of Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower, only because Colby Fleener is that tweener at tight end. Uh, you know, he's kind of like um, Jimmy Graham, to to not not nearly as talented yet as Jimmy Graham, but that kind of tight end who can go out into the slot and can uh, can split out wide. I expect them to do that a lot. And it would not surprise me to see the New England Patriots uh, with five co- uh, corners on the field or five defensive backs on the field uh, with a four-man front. What are your thoughts uh, there?
0: Yeah, I definitely expect to see some of it. And they could definitely start off the game in it. But at the same time, they're going to have to be able to stop the run like that. You know, They can definitely match up with the Colts' passing game through, through that formation. But if they can't stop the run in that, then they're going to have to revert back to having three linebackers on the field or some different formation. So that's where it becomes critical because you know that when, they, when Indianapolis sees the Patriots in their sub-defense against the two tight end set, that that's immediately what they're going to look to attack. And so if they can contain Bradshaw and Richardson that way, then absolutely, then the Patriots have something working there and you can expect that Chung will be in the box to help out with that. It's just a question of how effective they can be doing so against the run.
2: All right, we've talked about how the Patriots can possibly stop this offensive juggernaut known as the Indianapolis Colts, the same thing we were wondering uh, against the Denver Broncos, how they're going to do it. Now let's look at the New England Patriots and how they can attack the – The Indianapolis Colts, the Indianapolis Colts, of course, uh, their defense is average, good. I I don't really know where to put them. They looked really good, and then they played the Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, were absolutely shown the door by the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, uh, throwing, of of course, uh, six touchdown passes against them. Um, They're giving up 23.4 points per game. Uh, That's not great uh that puts them at 19th uh 361.7 total yards uh at 18th passing yards they're getting killed they 27th in the league their run defense is stout uh 98.1 uh yards per game so let me ask you this Bobby because i i expect the patriots to exploit uh of course the uh the defense of the indianapolis through the air how do you expect the Patriots to attack the Colts?
0: Well, the Colts like to run that Baltimore Ravens three four defense, which means they're gonna blitz a lot. And traditionally, when you blitz Tom Brady, he's gonna eat you alive, and he is phenomenal in a dome. So I fully expect Brady to have a lot of excess a lot of success, excuse me, attacking this Colts defense. It's just a question of communication amongst the line and if they can give Brady the time he needs to pick him apart. And I do expect that to happen. I expect the line to come through. I expect Brady to come through and be his usual stellar self when he's inside of a dome. So we'll see if that happens. One area that I'm interested in is that Chuck Pagano is a defensive-minded coach, and I expect him to finally be the guy who's bumping Gronkowski at the line of scrimmage. So I want to see how Gronk responds. I want to see how Brady responds. And I want to see how the Patriots' offense as a whole responds to that happening?
2: Yeah, here's what I'm looking at right here. I think Tom Brady does very well against 3 4 defenses. So we've seen him do it against Dick LeBeau's defense, uh, and to a lesser extent against uh, against that. Baltimore Ravens 3-4 defense. The way to attack it is to spread them out, and I expect the uh, New England Patriots to do that this week. I expect to see a lot of three wide receiver sets. I expect to see a lot from uh, uh, from Tim Wright as well. So I'm expecting the Patriots to spread out uh, this, um, I almost said Baltimore because of Chuck Pagano being the former defensive coordinator there. Of course, he's the head coach in uh, Indianapolis now, but uh, I expect the Patriots to spread them out and throw the ball a lot but not get too far away from the run. I just expect a lot more uh running out of uh out of sets that uh that have three wide receivers in them. Uh whether that be a uh you know, three three wide receivers and one of those wide receivers being a Tim Wright or a Gronk. I mean, you could basically call it a two tight end set, but if you got a guy in the slot, it's still You know, more of a three-wide set. I expect them to spread them out and see what they can do there. Well, Bobby, we are running short on time. It's that time of the show where we give our predictions and our player of the game, who we think is going to be it on on offense and defense. I believe our last time around, I made you go first. So I'll give my predictions first. I'll let you uh, step up and tell me what you think after that and then give yours. So This has been a a toss-up for me. I I actually at first kind of thought that the Indianapolis Colts would uh, come out victorious. Both teams coming off a bye. Um, But the more I looked at it, the more I I looked at the film, uh, the more I looked at what the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers were able to do and the similarities that uh, Pittsburgh has to the New England Patriots and what they try to do, I expect the New England Patriots to win this game uh, not going away, uh, but a thirty-one to twenty-four, thirty-one, yeah, thirty-one twenty-four game. I, I think this is. Uh, um, I think it's going to be competitive all the way around. I just think the Patriots will will pull away. And uh, you know, here's here's my players of the game. I think Shane Vereen has a monster game uh, against the the Colts here. I think he absolutely dominates this game, both on the ground and by catching passes. I think he's going to be uh, phenomenal in this game. I think they're going. To, this is the type of game which is perfect for him to be game-planned and spreading the ball out. He's going to be all over the field. He's going to be spread out wide. He's going to be in the slot. He's going to be in the shotgun. Uh, there's going to be plenty of delays there. I expect a lot of him uh, and possibly even Jonas Gray together in a backfield, in a shotgun set, uh, if James White is uh, – active. I expect White to be in the shotgun set uh, there, but I expect the Patriots to be able to really spread this out, and that's going to be huge for Shane Vereen. On the defensive side of the ball, I don't mention this guy a lot because I'm not a huge fan of his. I think he's a very good slot cornerback, but I think the guy that's going to have a great game for the New England Patriots uh, is uh, Kyle Arrington. As I said earlier in the show, I expect Brandon Browner to be moved around and put on the bigger wide receivers. And I can see Kyle Arrington playing more of a man-to-man role and seeing him go up against not only Colby Fleener in the slot, but kind of chasing Reggie Wayne around a little bit. So I expect Kyle Arrington to be your defensive player of the game.
0: Yeah. And I think that in terms of the score, we're right along the same lines. I'm going to go with 31-27, make it just a smidge more competitive and give another field goal to Adam Vinatieri, guy who brought a couple championships here to New England. And then as far as my impact players of the game, on offense, I'm going to go with Julian Edelman. Something I've seen out of the Colts is that anytime time that they're faced against a bunch formation, that Vontae Davis and Greg Toller really struggle against that, and that it, when it allows the receiver to get ahead of steam going – they seem to struggle because they can't play as physical and jam them at the line of scrimmage. So whichever one, most likely Davis, is matched up against Julian Edelman, I think Edelman could have a big game and create a lot of separation against these guys. And on defense, a guy I look at is Dante Hightower, who's going to have a huge role in two facets of this game. One is being able to stop the run because, like you said, I think the perfect way to defend them, if they can do it successfully, is to be in that nickel and treat Colby Fleener the same way that teams treat Tim Wright. And if they can do that and be effective against the run, Hightower is going to be a huge part of it. And the second thing is how well he can communicate with the defense when they're continuing to mix up all these coverages and spinning the dial and throwing different looks at Andrew Luck trying to confuse him. So he's my impact defensive player of the game.
2: Good stuff there, and, of course, uh, you can join us after the game on Sunday night uh, when we discuss the Patriots versus Colts in the final there. Uh, today's uh, Patriots beat um, has been dedicated to all the veterans of uh, all the armed forces uh, for America. Uh, you know, just amazing thing those uh, young uh, men and women do. And, of course, um, to Matt Moore, and, of course, we ask you to go to dot. GoFundMe slash Matt Moore and that's M A T T M O O R E. Uh, whether it's five dollars, whether it's a hundred, whatever you can spare, uh, go to GoFundMe uh, slash uh, dot com slash Matt Moore as uh, he fights his battle against brain cancer. Uh, just remember his wife Terry and uh, those two little girls that uh, he is fighting so hard for to uh, keep them uh, in your heart, in your prayers, as they are in ours. So. Uh, this has been Patriots Beat. I am Jeff Kane at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Bobby Kravitsky. Bobby, say goodbye to our fans.
0: Appreciate you guys listening. Have a great week, and go Patriots.
2: And you can join me and Patrick Shankauer Sunday night after the New England Patriots versus Indianapolis Colts game. Uh, of course, you can download this or any other great CNS Radio podcast by signing up for our mobile app. We told you how to get there already. We'll see you guys Sunday night after the game. And don't forget to text the code word on board to 22828 for your chance for two tickets to the New England Patriots versus Miami Dolphins game on December 14th of this year. Go Patriots. We'll talk to you guys Sunday night.
1: Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.